0: Chapter 86 At-Tariq By the Sky and At-Tariq This chapter, like the other short ones, begins with an oath. Many short chapters contain solemn assertions to different phenomena. Here, they are made to the sky, سماء and the tariq In order to determine whether these two assertions can be counted as one, we first need to understand what Tariq means. What will make you understand what a Tariq is? This is such a mysterious and magnificent phenomenon that even the Prophet could not comprehend it. The Quran asks, what will make you understand, or what would you know, a few times in various chapters to draw our attention when discussing extremely complex and majestic phenomena that are beyond our comprehension. If it is incomprehensible for profit, how are we supposed to appreciate it? Nevertheless, the Quran offers a hint. The Luminous Piercing Star Tariq is a star, and the qualifier, Thaqib, means luminous with the power to pierce and penetrate anything. In other words, Tariq is a brilliant piercing star. Yet it is somewhat odd that the Quran did not employ another word to convey the same meaning, one with greater clarity and precision. Surely there is no soul without a guardian over it. All existent beings have guardians. In the previous chapters, the relationship between the sky, a Tariq star, and the protection of human beings was explained. However, Tariq here is hard to define as it has a few possible meanings, one of which implies pounding, condensing, and compressing. Thus, a hammer is called Mitraqa. In addition, It could refer to a star, a piercing Thaqib star, or a nocturnal journey or movement. At the time of the revelation, the people of Arabia had extremely shallow understanding of astronomy. However, recent technological advances have discovered that stars undergo fundamental metamorphosis when they reach their final stage of life. Stars which are about one and a half to three times the size of our Sun will become so condensed and compressed and, due to their ensuing higher densities, will exert far stronger gravitational forces. Hence, a star that may be three times as large as the Sun becomes so compressed is composed entirely of neutrons. Neutron stars are so condensed that even a minute amount, like the tip of a needle, weighs about one million tonnes. They spin around their axis at a very high speed, some at the rate of almost 620 times a minute, and emit X-rays and gamma rays, but not light. If a star is more than three times the size of our Sun, then its density is so high that even neutrons enter the nuclei. Such stars are called black holes. Amazingly, a needle tip sized sample weighs about one billion tons. To put this into perspective, if our planet Earth were to become that dense, then it would shrink to the size of a bean. These invisible stars are called black holes because their density is so high that not even light can escape them. This is one of the possible meanings of Tariq. The connotation that it is Thaqib, meaning that it pierces something even though it is void of light, is due to its immense gravitational force as well as the X-rays and gamma rays that it emits. These gravitational forces affect a galaxy of stars which are not left without a guardian or some type of order, but work in unison and are connected and protected. Such a stupendous phenomenon poses a rhetorical question. What would you know? What the Tariq is? So, let the human being reflect upon that from which he has been created. Beginning with this verse, the discourse switches from the infinitely vast universe to the down to earth human beings. It starts with the particle Fa to conclude the above discourse. After they consider the universe's grandeur, they should turn inward to reflect upon their own creation. He was created. From a gushing fluid. An interesting parallel exists between this verse and the third one, a parallel that merits our attention. In the latter verse, just as Thaqib describes the existence of a piercing force advancing in the universe, this verse likewise describes the creation of humans from forcefully flowing dafiq sperms moving upward in their attempt to impregnate the ovum. Some exegetes have taken only the sperm's outward movement into account. However, in psychological terms, the sperm jets upward and penetrates, thaqib, the ovum, in order to carry out its natural function. Issuing from between the loins and the chest The word sulb means rigid and strong, whereas taraib means soft. Many exegetes have stated that the seminal fluid exits from the back and chest, however, we all know that this is not the case. If we take into consideration that these two words carry opposite meanings, then it appears that the verse alludes to the hard and soft substances in the body. In other words, the sperm is the final outcome of a process of combining the body's hard and soft substances. Every time a man and a woman have intercourse, about 250 million sperms are discharged, each one of which carries the entire genetic code, including that of its ancestors. Surely, he is able to bring him back to life on. The conclusion of the above discourse is that God has the power to bring humans back to life. Why would you doubt that God, who created humans from such minute substances and an ovum in the first place, has power to bring them back? The day on which the deepest secrets will be laid bare and put on trial. This is the day when all things concealed from you or by you, will become apparent and testify. Other Quranic verses relate that on that day, humans will become privy to God's wondrous creation and will be astounded to learn that all of their actions, without exception, have been recorded and accounted for, and that their own beings, as well as various bodily parts, will testify against them when a person will have no power of his own and no protector. No one will be able to help us on that day, and we will not have the strength to do anything. By the sky that revolves Once again, a solemn oath is asserted to the ever-revolving sky. Why ever-revolving? The majority of exegetes opine that this refers to the four perpetually recurring seasons. However, it appears that this may be examined at a much deeper level. Recent research indicates that Earth's atmosphere plays a vital role in protecting life by sending matter back into space, ozone layer. On the contrary, other layers prevent matter from escaping Earth like water vapour in the form of rain. The sky has been in a constant state of returning, and this phenomenon is not limited to what has just been explained. This cycle is innate to nature, and occurs both in the sky and on earth. And earth, the ground that splits. An oath is avowed to the ground which splits during the winter months and seeds that are grown in its crevices. The majority of exegetes believe that refers to the expansion and contraction of the ground that occurs during the winter and the spring, or generally to nature's perpetual renewal of nature. Returning is an inherent quality of this cosmos, for nothing that exists within it will ever disappear or be annihilated. Whatever exists will return, for this process repeats itself. God's creation is not in vain, and thus will never be annihilated or destroyed. Upon our death, we enter a new realm, the nature of which is determined by the deeds we perform today. Truly this, the Qur'an, is a decisive discourse that distinguishes truth from falsehood. This verse is both the conclusion and the response to the previous two oaths. This discourse is Fasl, meaning that it clearly separates truth from falsehood and makes the truth manifest. In the Qur'an, the Day of Judgment is called Yomul fasl because it is the day of separation, from the temporal world to the hereafter. The content of the Qur'an is also referred to as fasl, because it enables one to distinguish truth from falsehood. It is not something to be taken lightly. Some people consider these verses as providers of information, but at the same time as having no relevance or bearing on their daily lives. However, if they were to ponder the indisputable reality that their present life shapes their future life and destiny in the hereafter, then they might take their affairs far more seriously. The truth is that one day we will return to Him, and all that was concealed in us will be revealed. On that day we will receive our report card, and our destiny will be in accordance with the grades that we have earned. They are plotting a scheme. Preoccupied with the affairs of their earthly lives, they scheme to achieve their objectives and thus ignore these warnings. And I, too, am laying a plan. This is similar to teachers who are aware of students skipping classes. The latter are preoccupied with this world's affairs, not realizing that the teacher has a plan and is keeping a record of their absenteeism. During the exam, those students who are unprepared will rapidly realize that they brought harm to themselves. Give those who deny some respite time. Be gentle with them. The chapter concludes by telling the Prophet to leave the deniers alone, so they can act as they please. In other words, he should give them more time, and not force religion upon them. It is not important how long this respite lasts, because compared to one's eternal life, it is shorter than the blink of an eye. In conclusion, This chapter first draws our attention to the universe's grandeur and enormity, and then shifts from the macrocosm to the infinitesimally small microcosm world of a cell. After this, it propounds the concept of the return that all existent beings will experience, and concludes by informing the Prophet that he should let the stubborn deniers follow their own ways because the natural laws governing the world will treat them in the same manner. However, he was still held responsible for reconciling with them and attracting them to his message.